Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 107, Psalm 107. We'll read the first nine verses of Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gather them out of the, land, of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them out of all their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to the city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Let's pray. Father, we ask today that you might help us as we concentrate on your goodness to understand how good you are. And even though we pray that, Lord, we know that we can't fully understand it because your goodness is just new every morning. And uh, you give us more things to be thankful for all the time. But, Lord, I ask in some way that we would understand more of your goodness today. May the message be a convicting message to us as Christians who sometimes complain and murmur. I pray that we might understand, Lord, that you're good. You're always good. And then for that one who has not trusted the Lord as their Savior, they are in the place that all of us who are believers now were in at one time. And they're not unusual at all because everybody needs the Lord. And I just pray that if they, uh, that today they might understand your goodness. As the scripture would say, that your goodness would lead them to repentance and faith. Have your will in the message, Lord, give enablement to bring it. I need your help, so I pray for that today. And we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Psalm 107 reminds us of the goodness of our God. Four times, verse 9, we read it this morning. For, uh, verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 15, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 21, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. And verse 31, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of, of men. We are admonished over and over and over and over again in that psalm to praise the Lord for his goodness. When Jesus walked on this earth, we read the account in Matthew and also in Mark and I think in Luke, that uh, a man came to Jesus, and we find out later that he was a rich man, and he came to Jesus and he said this, Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? He did not realize who he was talking to. He did not realize that Jesus is God. But Jesus pressed him on the matter, and he said, Why callest thou me good? For there is none good but one, and that is God. Now, Jesus wasn't denying his goodness, but the man didn't realize that he was God. So he said, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, and that's God. That's an interesting thing for us to know, that there's no good person, ultimately, but God. 
we all pride ourselves in being good people, you know, compared to other people. And that's our problem. Sometimes we compare ourselves among ourselves. But God says, no, if you compare yourself with God, there's none good. Only God is truly, totally good. So God is good. Yes, only God's truly God. And since Jesus is God, then he is good. And today we want to examine some, some things about the goodness of God. We who know the Lord as Savior would have no hesitancy, hesitancy, I see, I think, in proclaiming the goodness of God, or we shouldn't have. We're undeserving sinners. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We deserve to go to hell. God saved us one day. He rescued us from our sins. He adopted us into his family. He forgave us of all of our sins. He declared us to be righteous. He made it, given, gave us the rights of sons as adopted sons. And he promised to us that we have eternal life and we'll never have to go to hell. Now that should give us enough proof to say, I truly believe at all times that God is good. When Moses asked God to show him his glory, God said this, I will make my goodness pass before thee. And then he went on to explain, thou canst not see my face. So God says, I'm going to let you see part of me. My goodness, but you can't see my face. Centuries later, Moses and Elijah were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And they saw his glory. You remember Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. He said, I'm just going to show you my goodness. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw his glory. Because Jesus was transfigured uh, before them. And his raiment became white as, as snow, you know, and it was glistening. I mean, the glory of the Lord shone to show who Jesus really was, and that is he is God. And so he, they saw his glory. Today, we're like Moses. We can't see all the glory of the Lord, but I believe God does show us his goodness. And he said to Moses, I'll show you my goodness, but you can't behold all of my glory. After Moses saw the goodness of the Lord... The Lord sent him back up into the mountain because you remember before that he had gone up into the mountain. God given him, had taken two tables of stone and God had written on those tables. And then when, t when Moses came down from the mount, he discovered that the children of Israel were rebelling against God. And they were committing probably immoral acts and they were worshiping a golden calf. And in, ang in his anger, he threw the tablets down and they broke. And then the Lord, after showing him his goodness, he said, now Moses, I want you to go back up in the mount. And he went up back up in the mount and he said, take two more stables, uh, two more tables. And I'm going to write on those too, the same that I wrote on the previous ones. And then he said something to uh, uh, Moses. And I want to read that. It's in Exodus chapter 34. And he said this in verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the, the, proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, under the third and the fourth generation." Just saying, you know, your sin's going to have an effect on generations to follow. Yeah. And God's a just God, and he's going to let uh, your sin be, find you out. 
But the Lord says, I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of forgiveness. But in that passage, he says, and the abundant goodness and truth of the Lord. God is abundant in goodness. So whether we think so or not, God is good. Whether we understand what is happening or not, God is good. Whether your heart is broken or your health is, has failed, God is good. When you cry out to God and say, why? God is good. You could say this, as you've heard it said many times, God is good all the time. And if I ever text you that, your proper response or one good response would be, all the time, God is good. In other words, I agree, God is good. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 17 says, How great is his goodness. Psalm 31, verse 9, How great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee. Psalm 33, verse 5, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 52, verse 1, The goodness of God endureth continually. Last week we looked at the greatness of God. We saw that God is eternal, he's unchangeable, he's perfect, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, that means he knows everything. He's omnipotent, that means he's all-powerful, and he's incomprehensible. That's the greatness of God. How frightening it would be if a great God such as that was not good. Wouldn't that be awful? That a God with all that power and all that knowledge and everything about God, if that was true of a God who is evil, who's not good, that would be very frightening. But thank the Lord we can say today and be assured that our great God is also a good God. Now let's consider some of the truths about God's goodness as found in the scripture. Let me tell you some things about the goodness of God. First of all, one thing about the goodness of God is he is holy. Our God is holy. The word holy means set apart. That means you set it apart from all else. You know, he's holy. He's set apart. The Lord tells us that we're to be set apart unto him. God is set apart. He's set apart from all, the, all, of all of his creation. He said in Psalm 97 verse 9, For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. You're high above all the earth. In Psalm 99, uh, we read this in verse, verse 2. It says, The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. He's high above everything else. There's nobody like God. There's no other gods. There's none whatsoever. He's the only one. Nobody like God. He's set apart from everything. But there's also another connotation that we hit, we get from the word holy and that is he's set apart from all that's imperfect or all that's morally unclean all sin God is totally set apart from it that's why sometimes we can look pretty good when we compare ourselves with each other you know I'm better than that guy some people say well I think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm better than or I do this and I do that that might work with people but it doesn't work with God God is totally holy no sin, no imperfection whatsoever. And when you compare yourself to God, I'll guarantee you, you don't look very good. And neither do I. Because God is holy. So God's set apart from all imperfection and, and sin. Isaiah 6, 6 tells the account of um, Isaiah. He says, 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, which had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a unclean lips. I, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. When he saw the holiness of God, he was convicted, and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Who was that? That was Isaiah the prophet. Do you, do you measure up to Isaiah the prophet? And he said, that was Isaiah, and he says, I am undone because I see the holiness of God. Habit, uh, book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, a verse that's often quoted, quoted says this, Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Of course, God sees everything, but it'll talk about with approval. God, God can't approve any of that. Thou art of pure eyes than behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. Proverbs 15, verse 9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. So the wickedness that we see all around us today in this nation and in, this, and in the world, uh, men might say it's okay. Men might change their rules and say, oh, this is acceptable. God says it's an abomination to the Lord because God is holy, totally holy. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are abomination to the Lord. So the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord because he is holy. God's person and all about him is holy. I'll not give you all the references, but the Bible says the Father, God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. God the Holy the Spirit is holy. He's called, even called the Holy Spirit. God's habitation is holy. God's throne is holy. God's name is holy. God's arm is holy. And God's promise is holy. Everything about God is holy. And not only that, but God demands and also works to accomplish holiness in his people. We should be people of holiness. That word holiness sometimes fits to a certain group of, uh, of Christians, but that shouldn't be. It should be of everyone. Everybody who knows Jesus as their Savior should live a holy life. That means set apart from sin. Holiness. The Bible says in, he in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, He chastens us so that we might be partakers of His holiness. He go, sends us through trials, and he chastens us sometimes so that we can be more like him, so we can be holy. Our trials are not so that we can gripe at God and complain at God. Our trials are so that we can realize that God wants us to be holy. And so he works with us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says this in verse 15. 1 Peter 1.15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So God's a good God. He's holy. There's another thing about God, and that is he's true. Now, all of us like people to tell us the truth. You know, nobody likes to be lied to. Even liars don't like to be lied to. <laughs> I mean, they lie all the time, but they don't like to be lied to because lying is not good, but God never lies. He always tells the truth. Truth is found in the very being and nature of God. The Bible says the Father is, God the Father is, is true. Psalm 31 verse 5, Lord God of truth. 
of the Son is true. John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Spirit of God is true. Uh, John 14, verse 17 says, the Spirit of truth. Uh, he, is ho- he is the only true God. So he's the only God who's true. They're, all the others are false. All these false gods, they're just stone or wood. You know, they just, people worship them or they call them another name. Just because, because they call them some name doesn't mean they're God. Uh, I hate to take to inform if anybody's a Muslim here. We love you and all that. But I'm going to have to tell you, there is no such person as Allah. <laughs> he doesn't exist. <laughs> but they say he does. The Bible says there's no true God. There's only one true God. And that's the God of the Bible. He is true. John 17, verse 3, the only true God. Because he is true, we can trust him. That means we can trust his word. John 17, verse 17 says his word is true. We can trust his record. Uh, John 18, verse 14 says his record is true. His witness is true. John, Romans 3, verse 14. His gospel is true. Ephesians 1, 13. His judgments are true. Revelation 16, verse 7. His grace is true. 1 first, first Peter 5, 12. And his prophecies are, prophecies are true. Revelation 21, 5 and 22, 6. Everything about God is true. That means God never deceives you. God never lies to you. God never leads you, lead you astray. The devil will tell you differently. He'll, he'll make you think that if you don't trust him or follow him, you're going to miss out. Oh, you'll miss out all right. You'll miss out on the goodness of God. God is good, and God is true. God is holy. You can trust him. So it guarantees that we, that we can trust the Lord. And so it's good to know that God is true. Also, another thing about God that's good is God is love. The Bible tells us that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. God is love. God's, sometimes say God of the Bible, in the Bible, you know, the God of Old Testament is the God of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is the God of, of love. That's not true. The God of the Old Testament was the God of love, is a God of love. He's the same one as the God of the New Testament, and both of them are gods of love because God is love. He always has been. That's why last, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the triunity of God, the trinity of God. There was love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit before man ever came on this earth. So God didn't need somebody to love. There's, uh, there's a plurality of persons, but there's only one God. And there's much evidence in the scripture that God loves the Son, God loves the Spirit, and, uh, and they love each other. There's the persons of the trinity love. Because God is love. Yes, there's only one God. I don't understand that completely, but I believe it because God says it. So God is love. God, so God of the Old Testament is love. Let me read you an account that says that in, Deut- uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7. And thou shalt teach them... Dil- no, that's 6. Sorry. Deuteronomy 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the fewest of all people. He's talking about the Jewish people. But because, but because the Lord loved you 
And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God do that? Because he loved them. He's a God of love. Of course, we know that the God, God as pictured in the New Testament is, is love. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is a God of love. The nature of God's love it was volunt- it's voluntary. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't really ask for it. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's voluntary. His love is sacrificial. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Think about that. He loved you so much, even though you're unlovely because you're sinners, and I am too, that he sent his son, and on the cross of Calvary, for that three hours on the cross, from 12 noon till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus experienced the wrath of God for our sins. And God poured down, laid, laid our sins on Jesus, so to speak, and he judged Jesus for us. So Jesus had to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because that's what we deserve. And that's what will happen to you if you go to hell. You'll be forsaken by God forever and ever and ever. But because he is God and because he's eternal, he can take the eternal punishment in a matter of time on the cross. And that's what he did on those three hours on the cross. God took your sin upon himself. God loved you so much. So God demonstrated his love. It's sacrificial. He died for you. And his love is everlasting. Romans chapter 8, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is everlasting. (laughs) So thank the Lord for that and that his love is everlasting. Well, how does God manifest his love then toward Christians once you've trusted the Lord as your Savior? Well, he saves you, forgives you of all your sins. He gives to you grace. That means unmerited favor. He gives to you what you don't deserve. Aren't you glad of that? We don't get what we deserve. Grace, God does, gives us what we, grace gives us what we don't deserve, and that is love and forgiveness and all of that, accepting into his family. But mercy, he withholds from us what we do deserve. And so that's how God manifests his love toward us, is the grace and the mercy. Then the kindness. Then he treats us with great kindness. And the Lord is so kind to us. He's so good to us. And several times in the scripture, it talks about kindness. But you know, you are just like me. We surely don't deserve that all the time, do we? In fact, no, none time, no time do we deserve it. But the Lord says this, I'm long-suffering. There's sometimes in your life where you're doing really great. You know, you're trusting the Lord, you're believing the Lord, you're reading the scripture, you're praying, and you're doing what you should do. You're saying no to sins. But then sometimes you sort of drift away. And the Lord says, I'm long-suffering. I'm long-suffering. That's the kind of love God has for us and his long-suffering. And then even his discipline. The Bible says in Hebrews, those the Lord loves, he chastens. So maybe you just got a whipping from the Lord because you'd been doing things you shouldn't do and God made something bad happen to you and God says, I love you, that's why I just chastened you. A child, you know, who's uh, going astray, 
uh, he will uh, sometimes do things that his parents don't like him to do, and they have to discipline him. Why do they discipline him? Because they love him or her. They discipline that child because they love him. And the Lord says, I love my children, and I discipline them because I don't want them to go the wrong way. God knows more than we do what the wrong way will mean to us. He knows what that path will bring to us, and God understands that. And so he will chasten us, and lots of times it really hurts. God will chasten us because he loves us. Also, the manifestation of God is also found to everybody. Not just Christians, but everybody. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, it's a great passage. And Matthew chapter 5, let me look it up real quickly. Verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. God's telling us to love our enemies. Why would he tell us to do that? Because he does. He loves his enemies. So God's love is not just for believers. God loves everybody. It goes on to say that you may be the children of your father. In other words, that you might act like your father, like you act like children of, of a father does, which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. I'll guarantee you, if you were a farmer in, in this area, and you know the Lord is Savior, and you go to church, you know, when the doors are open, and you love the Lord, you tithe, you, you read your Bible, you pray, you love the Lord, and you give God the credit for it. And you have 300 acres of property, and this year it's really been good because the Lord's been sending the rain, and the corn's really growing, and the beans are really growing. But then you might have a neighbor who won't go to church. He curses God. He lives a wicked life. And you look over at his field, and guess what? It's growing just like yours. <laughs> Why is that? Because God is good. And he loves even people who don't love him. And he says this, For, for if you, he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than they others? Do not even the publicans the same? Uh, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The Lord says, I love people. I love even people who don't love me. And then how did he prove that? The greatest proof is Jesus died for them. God so loved the world, everybody, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to be condemned, uh, into the world to condemn them. I can't, my mind just went blank. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn them, but that the world through him might be saved. God loves us. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to be saved. And some say, well, no, he just died for certain people. You know, not everybody. The Bible doesn't say that. God says God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says in 1 John, he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. <laughs> he tasted death for every man. 
Jesus loves everybody because, and it's proved because he loves, he, he died for them on the cross. Jesus loves us. So he loved, proved his love by dying for everyone. So God is the God of love. God is holy, God is true, and God is love. Then there's one more thing about God's goodness, and that is God is faithful. I'm glad he is. God is faithful. That means he's reliable. You can count on him. He's steadfast. He's dependable. He's trustworthy. Deuteronomy 7 says he's faithful and he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. What this means for us, we can count on the Lord to do what he said he's going to do and to fulfill his promises and also his warnings. We can count on the Lord to do that. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13 says, He abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. God's not going to deny himself. He's going to be faithful. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us, be, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why be steadfast as a Christian? It says this, For he is faithful that promised. It might get rough following the Lord. It might get rough doing what's right. And you think, see, look, I'm doing what's right, and it seems like everything's just not going, going well. Well, the Lord says, you be faithful, because I'll guarantee you God is faithful. And he's faithful to do what he promised to do. He'll get you through this. He'll work it out together for good some way. And one day you're going to be in heaven, you're going to look on back on it, and you'll be able to say, as Romans says, the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. So it guarantees that, God's faithfulness. We guarantee, it guarantees that we can trust him. He keeps his promises. When God promises to you that you have eternal life and that someday you'll be with him in heaven, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I've told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise of God, and you can count on it. You can count on it if you trust Jesus as your personal Savior. It also guarantees the stability of the universe. I mean, the stability of the universe is guaranteed by the faithfulness of God. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 90, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. Don't worry about climate change. Don't worry about so-called global warming. Don't worry about any of that. There is going to be global warming one day that'll burn everything up but man won't do it god will and it won't be any white time soon it's going to be at least a thousand and seven years from today i know that to be true why is that because the lord says the next event on the calendar is the rapture after the rapture the lord takes the believers home down on this earth we're going to be left the unbelievers and the lord says there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period where they'll go through then that seven-year tribulation period, Jesus is going to come back with us from heaven, and he's going to destroy his enemies, and he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth, not a, a different earth, this earth. And he's going to change the climate in this earth so that uh, the desert's going to blossom, and everything's going to be fruitful, and he's going to rule and reign on this earth as king from Jerusalem, king over all the world for 1,000 years. And then he's going to destroy this earth. And then he's going to make a brand new one. So are we going to limit, be eliminated because of climate change in the next few years? No. 
If we, if we were going to be, then God's a liar. In fact, the best years of the earth are yet ahead. A thousand-year reign of Christ where he's going to lift the curse and it's going to be a beautiful earth. So don't worry about that. Why? God is faithful. He says in Psalm 119, I don't know if I read it or not, Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. God keeps his word. It also guarantees our victory over temptation, the faithfulness of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is it common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape. So, because God is faithful, you can get through that temptation. I mean, sometimes temptations are really strong. But I'll guarantee you, you do not have to sin. Sometimes Christians fall and they say, I just couldn't help it. No, you could. If you couldn't help it, then God's not faithful. God says, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. In other words, a lot of people have been through the same thing. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will the temptation also provide a way of escape. He would have given you a way of escape. He had a way of escape, but you wouldn't take it. And usually the way of escape is saying no and trusting Jesus. But sometimes people refuse to say no, and so they never get the deliverance. They never get the victory because they won't say no. And we have to say no. God will give us a way of escape. We do not have to fall to temptation. Why? Because God's faithful. God is faithful. Also, God's faithfulness guarantees us protection from the evil one. 2 Timothy chapter, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says, The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And some translate from the evil one. God is faithful. He will establish you and keep you from evil. Also guarantees us forgiveness of sins. You know, we as Christians, we still sin. We still some, sometimes do things we shouldn't, and the Holy Spirit prompts us because he lives inside of us, and he convicts us and says, that's not right. What do we do? We go to the Lord because fellowship, uh, sin breaks our fellowship with the Lord. And so we go to the Lord and said, Lord, I sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And he does, just like that. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that means to agree with God, God said, God's Holy Spirit says that's wrong, and we confess, we agree with God and say, Lord, you're right, that, that, that was wrong, I'm sorry, forgive me. And the Lord he says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Christian who sins has that 1 John 1, 9 verse and we can use it and we can thank the Lord that he's faithful because he says he'll always forgive. And he forgives us and restores the fellowship as it should be. But you keep letting those things build up and you won't confess your sin, then the fellowship is going to be less and less with you and the Father. And it won't come back to where it should be until you take care of that and say, Lord, you're right. I was, I've sinned. And I've done this and this and this. And Lord, I'm sorry. I'll, please forgive me. And God says, I will. Every time, I will. He's faithful and just to forgive you or your sins. That God's faithfulness guarantees forgiveness for sin, of sins. It also guarantees that we can trust the Lord through problems. Yeah. You can trust the Lord through problems. All of us had problems. 
Psalm 119 verse 75 says, I know the Lord that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Lord, why am I going through this trouble? The Lord says, because I'm faithful. (laughs) Wait a minute, I don't see it that way. The Lord says he's faithful. He doesn't leave us to go through the problems we're going through. Maybe our problems are caused by some sin or uh, whatever it might be. But the Lord says, don't you let your problems change your mind about me. I am faithful. I am faithful. In faithfulness he has, has afflicted me. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To those who are the called, those who are the called according to his purpose, they walk to, work together for good to those that love God, those who are called according to, uh, to his purpose. And then it says in verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? In other words, whatever problems come, we know this, God's for us. He's faithful. He'll always be for us. He'll never be against us. So if God's for us, then who can be against us? And so God's faithfulness guarantees that the Lord will be faithful. The Lord will take care of us. He'll get us through the problems. And someday we'll look back and say, yeah, I learned something through that. Something that I needed as a Christian. You know, many a Christian I've met have been sweet, strong Christians have been Christians that have been through a lot of affliction in their life. And it hasn't driven them away from the Lord, it's driven them to the Lord. And that's very special to the Lord. The Lord wants us to have sweet fellowship with Him. And so lots lots of times He wants to send problems in our life to cause us to go to Him. And that sweetens the fellowship as we trust Him. Lord, we know You're faithful. We trust You through this. And God is faithful. Yes, our God is holy. He's true. He's love, and he's faithful. That's the goodness of God, some things about the goodness of God. Let me tell you something. Satan likes to get believers to forget about God's goodness. That's why I don't know your life, don't know what's going through, but I just imagine there's some of you who came to church today that you're probably a little bit upset with God because things aren't going so well. And maybe you've cried out to God and said, Why, God? If you love me so much, why? The devil likes you to concentrate on those things. He likes you to pick out all the negatives in your life and to concentrate on those negatives. And those negatives turn you negative. And guess what you don't do? You don't count the blessings and you don't agree that God is good. And the devil loves that. He knows God is good. (laughs) But he doesn't want you to believe it. Because if you don't believe it, he can't take away your salvation as a Christian. He can't do that. But he can sure defeat you so that you won't live for him. And he'll do what he can to emphasize the negative so that you won't concentrate on the goodness of God. I encourage you today as a Christian, all those things that are negative in your life, just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been counting all these negatives and I forgot how good you are. And start counting your blessings and thanking the Lord for all of his goodness. And you really don't have to go much further than the fact he saved you. You don't have to go to hell. You're going to go to heaven. I mean, wow, that's pretty good. And so God is good. But also Satan likes to get unbelievers. And see, he likes to get unbelievers to believe his lies. He likes them to believe that, oh, there's pleasure in sin. If I would just do this, I would really have a good time. 
And then he likes, he likes to make you think that there's not going to be any repercussions, you know. It's, not, it's all going to turn out pretty good. I'm going to go down this path, and I'm going to have all this fun and all this pleasure. And that's what he tells young people, you know. Uh, don't, don't follow this religion thing. You know, don't follow Jesus. You have to, have to say no to this and no to this. Look how much fun we're having. And the devil likes to get you to likes for you for unbelievers to believe that they're having fun and that it's all going to be okay because he doesn't want you to know that God is good. You see, God's holy, God's true, God's love, God's faithful. The devil's a liar. He's unholy. He's wicked as he can be. He's surely not true. He doesn't love you. He hates you. And he's not faithful. He'll not keep promises because he breaks his word all the time and laughs about it and goes on his way. And he makes the person who's going through all the trials, you know, to say, I just can't take it anymore. The best thing I could do is just take my life. And they take their life, and then if they're an unbeliever, they go from the frying pan into the fire, literally, because they go to hell. And the devil laughs because he's deceived you. You see, Satan wants believers, unbelievers. He doesn't want them to believe about the goodness of God. But I encourage all of us, whether we've truly been saved or whether you haven't yet truly been saved, believe this, God is good. God is good. And he wants us to believe that. In Romans chapter 2, and I'll close with this. In Romans chapter 2, it tells us something about the goodness of God. I'd like to read that passage, and uh, it's verse number 4. Let me read a little bit before we get there, too. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering? You see, if you're not saved, uh, you might be despising the goodness of the Lord. God's keeping you alive so that you can repent and trust Jesus. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance? God puts up with you and is long suffering. He's long suffering for you, He's giving you another chance to believe. And then it says this, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You see, if we can get people who are unbelievers to just believe that God is good and the devil's a liar and he, he, he's, he's to be rejected, but God is good. That good, knowing that God is good will lead the person to repentance and they'll come to trust Jesus as their Savior. So it's very important today to know God is good. Yes, we can truly say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for loving us. We know you're good, Lord. And we say thank you for loving us, not just because we say it a lot of times, but, Lord, because it's truly true.
And that is you love people who are undeserving. You're so good, Lord, that you died for us. You paid the price for our sins. You want to be our Savior. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who has never trusted Jesus, they'll understand that God is good and that you plead with them. And the Bible says that if anybody will come to him, come to you, you will not turn them aside. And I pray, Lord, that they might come today. I know that you are willing and able to forgive them and to make them your child if they will just believe that Jesus died for them on the cross. He shed their blood for them there because he loved them. And then he rose again on the third day as proof that it was all paid for. Lord, I just ask that you'll work in hearts. For believers, help us to realize today anew and afresh, you are so good. And if we've strayed away in our life, Lord, and we need to come back, I pray that we'll do that. And then for that unbeliever, Lord, may they be saved today. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.